Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. sign in comedy whether you're doing it good or not if people laugh good job if people are stony faced you didn't do it and (laughs) I think that is an incredibly scary space to inhabit I sound like I have a frog in my throat Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. I am Jack. I'm here with favorite co-banterer, someone who we need to check in with and who I want to check in with and who is a fan of today's guest, Charlotte Nickdow, um, star of Mythic Quest, Katie Menard. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, It's another great day at backstage yes (laughs) running backstage social yeah can i put you on the spot and ask what's the latest with uh backstage social i was out all of all of last week yeah i mean we're going strong and and steady pushing out content as per usual (laughs) next week is emmy nominations um so i will be uh live tweeting those at 11 30 eastern a.m 8.30 8.30 a.m. West Coast time. Pretty reasonable. Yeah, pretty reasonable Yes, it, it's it's a much more reasonable time than um, some other award shows that will not be <laughs> named that are much earlier. There you go, um, yeah. For, for the East Coast. Well, even earlier for the West Coast. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Emmy nominations are next Tuesday. I'll be live tweeting. We'll be putting up, I'm assuming we're going to have a ton of really great content with that we've already, nominees yeah. that we've already talked to so oh, far yeah. this year. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's a it's going to be an exciting Emmys, I think. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, listeners on Tuesday morning, this is the uh, 13th, all of the output you see from backstage, just, just think of Katie Menard and think of me. Me and Katie Menard will be just scrambling all of the work that you see like is a reflection of us, like, (laughs) first of all, like frantically talking to each other on Slack and getting up that recap and getting our ducks in a row. And yeah, Katie live tweeting everything. It's like a big day. I mean, the Emmys have the most categories. So there's a lot to- So uh, many. (laughs) It's a lot of TV, even in a pandemic, it's a lot of TV. Yeah, I mean, I won't totally complain about, as a fan, a lot of categories. Exactly, yeah. And the, the sort of category expansion um, mm-hmm. for nominees they did sort of last year where the number of nominees is pertinent to mm. how many things are eligible. Yeah, which does actually allow for more inclusivity. In yeah, with so many shows. <laughs> yeah, 
And the other, the other notable thing about these Emmys is like, first of all, it's a stellar year for limited series, which has recently been true a lot, but especially this year. I can't even think about that lead actress in a limited series. There's only going to be five limited series nominated for best limits. That's not enough. You could nominate 10. You could give them all an Emmy. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. For whatever reason, and I, maybe that is a reflection of the pandemic because some of those were filmed during the pandemic and it's more of a one-off. But the other thing is like, by coincidence or because of the pandemic, a, a lot of last year's comedy and drama winners are not eligible. And even mm-hmm. many of the acting comedy drama nominees are just not there this year. So we really could see a crop of, I think, a lot of first-time nominees. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after the the sort of Shit's Creek farewell sweep yeah, i'm excited right. about that about comedy um, yeah and maybe maybe mythic quest getting in there what a brilliant transition <laughs> yeah so mythic <laughs> mythic quest we have featured on backstage uh, every time we feature it on backstage we're talking about how much we love mythic quest it is so freaking funny it is so quintessential office um what is the term workplace comedy yeah workplace comedy it's a, its own genre, and I think it's like a brilliant example of that genre that also manages to incorporate fantasy and like legitimately amazing visual effects because it's set at a video game yeah. company. And as somebody who has worked at a um, tech company before in the app space, uh-huh. it is very accurate in a lot of ways uh-huh. <laughs> to that office yep. dynamic and personalities. So I- I've I've very much appreciated <laughs> it in that way. I've not worked in like gaming specifically, but um, yeah, but the personality, the dynamics and pretty much I really think anyone who's worked in any office can recognize some of the dynamics there. And in fact, I straight up asked um, today's podcast guest, Charlotte Nick Dow, like, have you ever worked in an office? Because it really seems like uh, painfully accurate sometimes the way that certain people in power might maybe abuse their power. Um, Charlotte's character, Poppy Lee, is no exception to that. Even though she's like very funny and charming, she's like also kind of a dick. Yeah, I mean, they all kind of are. They absolutely all kind of are. Um, and of course, the show is created by Rob McElhenney, who we featured last year, friend of the friend of the show. And what an amazing showrunner writer he is but also again like brilliant actor playing yet another you know (laughs) character and um i really think a a lot of the success of the show comes down to his chemistry with charlotte i was just gonna say the same thing (laughs) um especially that that ends up being like the two of them doing this creative vision together is the the heart of the show the heart of the show. And so there's a lot to get into there with like how do you generate that kind of chemistry and that kind of like comedic off the wall. It's super these episodes are super structured but they're also can they can be so random. Highly recommend Mythic Quest for any Apple TV watchers out there. Thank you Katie for helping me introduce Charlotte. This is such a great interview. And um any other parting words of wisdom? Of wisdom. <laughs> Watch Mythic Quest and follow backstage on social uh for emmy nominations content next week um and if you're listening to this after emmy nominations just follow backstage on social uh for lots of great content all the time follow along (laughs) yeah and listeners next week's episode we will of course be reacting to those emmy nominations or, or recapping them and we have a very exciting guest for next week's episode but in the meantime let's get to this interview with charlotte nicktow Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for having me. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. 
Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. An early audition followed by a rejection is what pushed Charlotte Nickdow to become an actor in both her native Australia and now stateside. After starring in A Girl's World as a teenager, she appeared on Camp, Please Like Me, Content, and Thor Ragnarok. She now stars opposite Rob McElhenney on the hit Apple TV Plus comedy Mythic Quest as video game engineer Poppy Lee. Here is the charming Charlotte Nickdow. I've had a couple of interviews in the last couple of weeks where like both yes. me and the, the journalist haven't been able to work Zoom. And I'm like, oh, yeah. how is this still the, like a year, yeah. over a year in, we still don't know how to use this program? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just so not been ideal. Have you had any in-person like interviews? No? <sighs> we did. We did an in-person FYC panel. Um, which was pretty wild and very fun. Uh, That was just And like cathartic, maybe? Yeah, like, (laughs) honestly, the the dressing up and, like, having your photo taken and having people look at you was always kind of, for me, the most stressful part of the job. (laughs) And I never thought that I would, like, go to one of those events and be like, wow, I'm dressed up, I feel nice, (laughs) like... Yes. I'm doing something out in the world. Yeah, it's so interesting how much can change in a year, of course. Yes, it really is. And I know Mythic Quest was one of the shows that was pretty uh, dramatically impacted by the, by COVID. And in fact, I didn't realize that see, there was parts of a season two that are not the official season two that were filmed. Yes, yes. So we we um we were shooting for one week before we shut down. Okay. We were shooting so season two week. for one week. Mm-hmm. And it it was one of those things where like when we went into work on the Monday, we had been told like don't hug each other. <gasps> and everybody was doing that thing where we were like, Come on, it's fine. And then by <laughs> Wednesday, everyone was like, Maybe don't come close to me. And then by Friday, we yeah. were saying goodbye for what we thought was gonna be a two week shutdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then it, it was, that was March of 2020. Yep. And then from there, it was this kind of constantly pivoting scramble to figure out if and how we could still make the season. And then in that time, we shot our quarantine episode, which mm-hmm. we did remotely. Uh, I know that the writers changed up a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the season. So when we finally went back in September with all these really incredible uh covid safety protocols mm-hmm. it 
it felt like, I mean, it was a real journey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how has, so how has the last year been? Are you, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I was trying to get work in LA for many years. Uh, I was, I did that very typical thing where I would come out for pilot season every Mm -hmm. so often. I'd like fly out for a particular audition and not get it. And Mythic Quest was really my first job that I got in the States. Um, And so we shot season one. And after that, I said to my husband, if we don't move to LA now, when will we, you know, like this is the perfect time. Like that we're never going to have a clearer time that this would be the time to make the move. So in January of 2020, we packed up our entire house and we Mm. put our dog on a plane and we arrived in LA. Wow. (laughs) And then in March, uh, the (laughs) pandemic hit. So it was, I mean, we ended up spending, yeah, we spent the whole year in LA and it was kind of a, I mean, everyone had such a wild experience, but I think that the thing that was strange for us was that we we were expecting a, a strange readjustment to our lives anyway. Oh, this sure. was just not the one that we were expecting. And so yeah. we yeah. were extremely fortunate that we were able to get through the year and, you know, we financially we were able to do it. And mm-hmm. I had some level of focus, um, but yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> best laid plans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's, it's the, and that quarantine episode was so special. I almost feel like it's like an artifact for future generations oh, totally. to understand like that bizarre time. <laughs> it definitely lives. feels like a bit of a time capsule to me. Yeah. And I think that most, I mean, I, I think that there's an element of that to any work that you do. Like mm. I look back at stuff that I shot when I was 17 and I'm yeah. like, this is the strangest photo album that I'll ever own. Yeah. But then that episode was that, you know, times a hundred because we we shot it in, I think, April, like very yeah. soon into the into the into the year. And I think we were all really still feeling the most intense versions of the emotions that everyone felt through the year. So I think, you know, when I watched that scene in that episode where my character is breaking down, my family said that they won't watch it. My mom said I watched that scene and it looked too similar to Zoom calls that we were having at the time. And she was like, I don't don't need to see that. I was like, yeah, I I think that that is how a lot of people (laughs) felt. Totally. I mean, that's the funny thing, because we at Backstage are, of course, um, and I know you spoke on a Backstage Fest panel recently, which was wonderful. But of course, we're all interested in like the process and creating characters and bringing your own life to characters. And that does seem like a moment where your personal life was informing Poppy at that moment, probably in an uncomfortable way. Um, But we are also super interested in the beginnings. And you mentioned age 17, which was when you were acting. And I yeah. actually did watch a few clips of it today, but... Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a treat. It really is a treat. Um, talk to me about your beginnings. I know you have a very interesting story about how you decided to be, okay, yeah. the acting is what I want to do. Well, I I was pretty set on being a professional musician from about mm-hmm. age four. I started playing classical piano when I was four and I was one of those kids that like, I, I loved it. And so I excelled really quickly. 
<laughs> and I was also a very tiny child. And so I was very, I looked very impressive. And so I, I think that that informed me like, oh, I'm good at this and this is definitely what I should do. Uh -huh. But then I think as, as happens with many children uh, being very, very good at something when they're young, as I grew into something that looked more like an adult, I kind of plateaued. But sure. I, don't, I don't think that I ever was like, oh, I maybe music isn't the thing. I was so like, no, this is the thing that I've always decided that I was going to do. And so this is the thing I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And then meanwhile, my dad... Um, he he's an actor. Uh, he was one of the first Asian actors on Australian screens. Yeah. Um, and he had an agent, and it, but he didn't do it. Wasn't a full time thing, you know. It was like uh -huh. he would sometimes go and do this fun thing, and he had an agent that would also occasionally, if she had a role that she didn't have anyone on her books that fit it, she would say, Charlotte, do you want to go and audition for this? And I like did school plays and stuff, so I okay. I thought that it was kind of a fun thing to do, and. Um, the one of those auditions was this TV series that uh, I I I booked when I was I was seventeen. I was about to start my final year of high school, and it mm. shot. I lived in Melbourne at the time. It shot in Sydney, Singapore, and Hamburg in Germany. So cool. Yeah, I know. And I remember sort of I was going to a specialist music school at the time where we would do like half a day of music, half a day of academia, and. For some reason, I just thought that it would be really funny if instead of, you know, doing that year, I just went and filmed a TV show, which now I find so precocious. Like now I'm like any job that anyone will give me, please, like I want to act. And at the time I was like, this is funny. So it was a seven month shoot and I it was called A Girl's World. Uh, I'm that I'm assuming that's those are the clips that you found. <laughs> yes. It, it yep. was an incredible experience in terms of it really taught me not just how to act but how to act for camera because I didn't I didn't know any of that. I didn't know mm. about hitting marks. I didn't mm -hmm. know about you know try, trying different things on different takes. And I was lucky that um, there are a bunch of people around that taught me a lot. Um, I got to travel, which was yeah. pretty amazing. Um, then there were some strange things about it. Like they wanted me to do an accent that sounded foreign, but wasn't, I was playing a Singaporean girl, mm -hmm. but they didn't want me to do a Singaporean accent. So you might've noticed my voice is super strange in it. <laughs> sure, sure. It's a strange accent that I'm doing. <laughs> and I think I got to the end of that process and I was like, Okay, that was a good joke, but it's not, it didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel like creatively like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't ever leave this world. Now. Sure, sure. So I went back and I did a year of uni uh, studying music mm -hmm. and I kept auditioning. And at some point I got an audition for this character that was written on the page as being half white, half Asian, mm -hmm. which I had never seen before. Okay. I'd never, I, I, before that point, it was like I would audition for roles that were specifically Asian and had to be Asian. And okay. I'd be like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll get this job. Or I would audition for roles that were white and I would be like, well, there's no way that I'll ever get this. Oh, and yeah. so seeing this character I was like oh my gosh I have to and I loved the script and I was I would have been like 19 at this stage mm -hmm. it's the first time that I got a script and I was like this is so cool imagine mm -hmm. if I got to do this and I went through the audition process and um event 
I think eventually they were kind of like, we're going to give you the role, but we just need you to do like this chemistry read. And I did the chemistry read. It was a full day of chemistry reads and I completely choked. I just, the pressure just got to me and I... Uh They, they gave the role to someone else mm-hmm. and I was <laughs> devastated. Like for two full weeks, I think I would wake up crying. Oh. And I was like, how am I this upset about this thing? That's not even my job. Yes. I've never been this upset when I failed in music. And that was kind of the moment for me where I was like, maybe this is actually what I want to do. That is really fascinating. I mean, from my perspective, having asked the question of like, when did you get bit by the acting bug so many times? It's never, I don't think it's ever come from a, from a rejection like yeah for me it, that, that was, was your totally, sign yeah yeah before that point I think I just look part of it maybe is sort of like this bratty taking it for granted thing you know sure, I, sure. I was like oh I just got this thing cool let's do it and I don't think that I ever considered the idea that it could be taken away and then when it was mm. I thought oh my gosh I I don't think I can live my life without this thing being a part of it. So cool. And and so, yeah, I always think about that. Whenever I don't get jobs now, yeah. I, I always try to think about how much that can inform the direction that you go in. That's so cool to hear, yeah. Because I do feel like it's always an interesting question. How much does an early career actor know that there will be rejection? And, like, mm. you can experience it firsthand but does it take a hundred auditions where you book one and you get 99 rejections? Like at what point does it settle in? Like, this is really what I have signed up for and I have to be, yeah. you know, Yeah, I feel like I always, I think about that often when I have a lot of, most of my friends, especially here in Australia, are not actors and are not in the industry at all. Mm. And, and whenever one of them is going through the process of trying to get a new job and they go for a lot of job interviews and they don't get a bunch of them and I see them go through just this <laughs> terrible pain and this terrible feeling of like lack of self-worth and and insecurity and uncertainty and I think this is my whole life yeah. like watching you go through this for a couple of months this is what I've basically signed up to do forever and every yeah. actor has in I mean you know there are always hopefully you'll reach a point in your career where uh you have some level of certainty but as far mm-hmm. as I can tell talking to actors that are way ahead of me in the game <laughs> I don't know that that ever really happens sure Sure. Well, and there also is the, the the Los Angeles factor. I remember speaking to Yvonne Strahovski and she had a similar story of um, going to L.A. and kind of flying back and forth like you're describing, like pilot season, fingers crossed, occasional auditions kind of thing. And it just took the, the chipping away at the American market. Do you have advice for Australian actors who are looking to break into the American film and TV world? Yeah, I mean... One of the things that I did that was very helpful was that whether it was intentional or not, I sort of started targeting productions, American productions that were filming in Australia. And I think that's a really great way to sort of dip your toe in the water Mm -hmm. and decide whether, because honestly, I do think that it, it's kind of a different, I think that there is something of a different style of acting in the States than there is in Australia. And Mm. I wouldn't really be able to put my finger on exactly what that is. I think it's got a little bit to do with the material. Um, Mm. And I think that there are different senses of humour and I think that there are different versions of what we think of as being natural or as being dramatic. 
I, yeah, I, I think it's it's nuanced, but personally, I always found it much easier to get jobs where I was in playing American than than Australian. Mm. Um, and so because of that, I kind of had this, because I had, I had auditioned for a few of those things. I had, I'd gotten a few of those jobs. Mm -hmm. I was able to go to the States with some level of understanding and, you know, something in my resume that made it a little easier to get into rooms. And I think that that is like the, the first piece of advice is like, see if you can book even some smaller roles Mm -hmm. in American productions, filming in Australia. And then the second thing is to to build a community around you in LA as quickly as you can mm. because there is so much rejection as yeah. we all know and i think i you know i went over a bunch of times and the thing that kept me going back wasn't that i loved not getting jobs it was <laughs> that i loved my community over there i loved my okay. friends and they all of us, I think there was a mixture of Australians and Americans. I think we all felt more like we were actors in our community and like that we could talk to each other about our experience and legitimize what we were all going through than I ever felt in Australia. Right. So that was something that it gave me, it, it, it gave some meaning to those trips, whether or not I was getting jobs. It gave me right. some different perspective. Right. It's so important. And I do feel like Los Angeles is a networking town. Like it is a town where you can find, you can make those friendships and those connections, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think something, I mean, beyond the idea of like, a net, I feel like networking for me always evokes this idea of like, you might get a job out of networking. Mm. For me, it's always been a bit more about you might find a friend that will help to inform what path is going to be best for you, you know, like, and I, and I definitely, especially with the specificity of being an Australian over in LA, I think that I've always have had friends who are a little further along in their, Mm. you know, career and a little further behind in their career. And it's very cool to be able to have this sort of like wealth of knowledge from each end of the spectrum when you're talking about you know what next what should i expect how should i prepare for this audition what should i keep in mind when i'm going into this gig that i've booked Mm. and that sort of networking has always felt super valuable to me like even um don't make this mistake or learn from my mistakes that i've right if they're further along Yes, if they're further along or even, you know, uh, you know, the two versions of if they're further along, being able to say, you know, appreciate this moment that you're in right now because this is a very exciting time for you. Or if they're further behind, like the reminder of like, remember when you felt this excited just to go into an audition, yeah, like cool. keep keep feeling that because mm. it's that that's still an opportunity to act, right? Right. Every audition is. I mean, do you have an audition philosophy? Do you have an audition <laughs> prep schedule? Like, it, it changes a lot. Okay. And I think where I where I've landed now is I did a play in Australia in 2018, I think, hmm. um, and I'd ne- I had not really done very much theater. Um, and it was yeah, we were doing like eight shows a week. It was for three or four months. 33 months, I I can't remember. But I just remember I had never done something like that before. And I remember getting to the end of the run and thinking about what my performance was like 
there compared to what it was like at the beginning oh. and being like, wow, uh. repetition <laughs> really makes a performance for me anyway. It makes it better. Sure. Like repetition creates freedom rather than um, limitations. Mm. And before that point, I had always been like, learn the line so that you know the words and then do nothing else because otherwise you're going to lose uh, feel the feeling of being natural and okay. that experience really changed my mind so now when I'm preparing for auditions even if I get something that I have to you know go in for the very next day mm. my process is I do something that will stop me from getting distracted so I like go for a walk and I just mm. say the lines over and over and over and over and I'm not necessarily making choices I'm just trying to find every version mm -hmm. because the thing with an audition is like you go in you have your take on it which I always really try to do but you do want to be really ready for if they say, hey, we think you're a really good actor, but can you do it completely differently? Yeah. And I feel like for me, the ability to be flexible in the room is really based in, yeah, the, the preparation of knowing the material back to front. Sure. Which I'm not, I'm not really a trained actor. And so that probably sounds really obvious, but no, yeah. I, I think yeah, before doing that play, it had never yeah. occurred to me that knowing my lines well would be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there are definitely actors listening to this that need to hear that, I feel like. And like, yeah. maybe this is, I, I mean, I got to ask you about Mythic Quest because I believe, based on what I've read, that the audition process for Poppy was an unusual one and is maybe not typical of any of your other auditions. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would say that's correct. I mean, look, it was typical in that it was um, excruciating. Because <laughs> <laughs> you no, wanted that's it. Not true. That was another script that you really it. liked. Yes. Yes, I wanted it really badly. And, and I went with that script, I went from not giving a shit at all to really <laughs> wanting it because yeah. it was, you know, speaking of, you know, the the process of uh, the loop of rejection. Yeah. I had come out to LA kind of begrudgingly. It was a trip that I had booked months in advance. And by the time I got to it, I was like, I don't want to do, I, I don't want to <laughs> go to LA and be told I'm no good again. Mm. And for whatever reason, I didn't get any auditions for the sort of three weeks that I was there. Oh. It was just really quiet. And, and throughout those three weeks, I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to come back again. I, you know, I've been coming for years. Sure. I don't, you know, I, I'm getting work in Australia. Mm -hmm. Why am I putting myself through this? It's, it's so unnecessary. I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm going to close the book on this. And then in my last week that I was there, I got an audition. I got my first audition for Mythic Quest. And so I went into that room. I think it was Jeannie McCarthy's office. Oh. I went into that room and I was, remember sitting in the waiting room there being like, um, this is going to be my last audition in LA. Uh, Crazy. And I remember loving the material and being like, what a cool audition to go out on. Like this is at least uh, it's like fun scenes and a fun character. And then at the end of that week, they, they asked if I could stay. I was meant to be flying out that weekend. Okay. And they were like, could you stay another week for a callback? So I pushed my flight a week and then they said, could you stay another week? Wow. And I ended up being there for two months I think being called back yeah because the, yeah oh I, I arrived in September and then we started shooting in December I think is mm -hmm. that right yeah early December late November so for two months I was coming 
I was coming in almost weekly. Um, I, I first auditioned for Poppy. They immediately were like, you're too young that this role is supposed to be the okay. same age as Rob McElhenney, who I play opposite. They said, yeah. you need to, it's supposed to be the same age. Not only you look like a child. Um, <laughs> well. And then, and then they brought me in for another character. I, they, they brought me in for a chemistry read for the, the tester characters, where they had a big sort of mix and match. So oh. I read for that. And then they were like, you know what, we, we, we're going to rewrite some of the poppy stuff. So why don't you come back for that? And during this process, at some point, I think Rob called me personally oh. to go over the rewrites that they had done for poppy. Mm. And I remember being on the phone to him and being like, wow, this has never happened. I've, I've never had this totally. level of, you know, and he, on the phone, at the end of the phone call, I said, you know, whatever way this way goes, I just really want to thank you for the opportunity. It's been so fun just getting to, you know, read with you guys and work with this material. And he was like, oh, you're in the show. Uh. He, he was like, we don't know which role we want to put you in yet, but you're <laughs> going to be working on the show. In case that wasn't clear. Like, yeah. yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and I just, even after that point, I feel like a lot of people will, will relate to this. I was like, sure, we'll see. Yeah. Like I've yeah. been burnt so many times that I was like, you know, it really reminded me of that job way back when, when yes. they had said, "Oh, you'll you'll be in the show." Yeah. And then I and then I was not in the show, and so it wasn't really until we were the you know really shooting the the first week, and then you know there's like a clause in in your contract. I think that's a fairly standard thing for a series regular that they have like 30 days after you shoot the pilot to decide if they really are going to put you in oh, the show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is, it's just there to be there, you know. Oh, but does but, that uh, freak you out? Yeah. Oh yeah. For 30 <laughs> days after we shot, I was like any day now I'm going to get a call that they're firing me. <laughs> yeah. It's the, um, what is the actors? I mean, it's any artist, but it's the imposter syndrome is what it kind of is. Absolutely. <laughs> and I like I in a lot of ways, I think that imposter syndrome is kind of a helpful thing to have as an actor. Sure. Like, I think it's the same as nerves kind of give you an energy. It pushes you a little. Mm. It it makes you not take things for granted. But then, yeah, I do think that sometimes it crosses a line where, like, <laughs> you're just stressed for no reason. Stressed. And if that stress is interfering with, like, the callbacks, then that's bad. But yes. as you're saying, it is healthy to have uh, some protection from the inevitable rejection in this job. Yeah, I've always found that the hard part for me is not necessarily the auditions themselves, but the moments between the auditions. Like oh. when I have some control over whether or not I'm going to get a job, for instance, I feel like I feel good. You know, mm. if I'm in the room, I'm like, yeah. this is my time. Like, this yeah. is the time where I get to do whatever I can do to show people that I should be part of this story. And I think similarly when, when you're actually shooting as well, like when you're mm. filming the show, you're like, well, this is my time to That's decide great. 
what this character is going to go through and how people might respond to her. It's the moments between. It's the moments between, you know, doing the audition and hearing if you got it or shooting the season and waiting for it to come out that are the most excruciating because you've done everything that you can do and now you just have to, like, wait and see if people like it. Yeah. Yeah, and that is when the thoughts creep in and the overthinking begins and all of that. Yes, That's just absolutely. also technically part of the job, I suppose. Yes. Because like you're saying, like you're not as active. You're not focused on a task. You are waiting. <laughs> yes. I I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like so many actors have said this, but so much of the job for me, I think, is being able to withstand that horrible waiting process. Yeah. I think... A, I don't know, you know, that many actors quit because they don't really enjoy acting anymore. I think yeah. a lot of it is because they don't want to have to go through the pain of that waiting process. Anymore. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. Yeah. And that is something that is important for early career actors to hear. This is part of the job description, whether you yeah. whether you like it or not. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I really like asking for, I really like asking actors to describe their characters. And I feel like with Poppy, especially taking into account season two. Yes. Who is she? Like, how do you, how, what do you, what do you think of her? <laughs> I, firstly, I, I just love her. I would never <laughs> want to have her in my life. <laughs> I feel like she'd be an incredibly toxic yeah. person to have around, but, uh, I do, I do think she's fantastic. She's, I think of her as being um, a kind of unself-aware ego monster. Uh She's a genius Mm -hmm. and has known that and been told that her whole life. Oh, okay. But she's also been put down uh, uh, or not put down but perhaps not taken seriously or dismissed Mm -hmm. because of the fact that she's a woman, perhaps that she's a woman of colour. But I think even more than that, the fact that her job is kind of unglamorous. She's a programmer. She's Mm -hmm. a coder. And so what she does to the outside eye isn't that impressive. Mm. And she's working in an industry, the gaming industry, which is an impressive industry. It's an exciting industry that Mm. is, you know, is huge in its scope of the way that it tells stories and has huge personalities. And I think that that's the reality. That's what we portray in the show. And it's the reality of the industry as well. Mm. And her job is boring in comparison, but essential. And so she's got a huge ego and a huge chip on her shoulder, (laughs) which means that she is a pretty toxic narcissist. Yes. (laughs) Because not only does she believe that she deserves to be on the highest platform possible, she also doesn't see anything wrong with that. Uh, I don't think that Mm -hmm. she is self-aware enough to question whether any of her behavior is inappropriate, which I find so funny. (laughs) Sure. Well, (laughs) the other question I had for you was how, maybe this dips into like your survival jobs and day jobs, which of course we do Mm. like asking actors about, but have you ever worked in an office? I worked in a call center uh, for like two or three months. Uh, when I was like, yeah, like 19 years old, probably. Sure. But I guess I haven't really worked in an office. I've watched a lot of office sitcoms, though. <laughs> well, see, that, and that's directly relevant, of course. I mean, the show just captures 
sometimes scarily accurate uh, office dynamics, power dynamics in the workplace. I think the thing that I find really cool about the show and I mean yeah like as I said I've watched a lot of office comedies and it's uh it's a genre unto itself right but I think that so often office comedies are about well here's an easy conceit where we can put these fun characters together and Mm. the office itself is not that important it's really about the characters whereas I think in Mythic Quest yeah. There's an element of that. I don't think that you need to know about games to enjoy yeah. the show, but I also think that it is not a show that ignores uh, the work dynamic aspect mm. of its conceit. I think it's a show that is very much about the work dynamics. It's about what it means to be a leader, what it means to want to climb a ladder, what it means mm. to be like aging out of your position, mm. which I think isn't necessarily tackled um in a lot of traditional office comedies, which is potentially why it uh, feels so um, uh, close to home when a lot of people watch it. Yes, there is some abuse or maybe borderline abuse that- I would call it abuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it does help to watch that genre, like you're saying, like that, is that part of the, is that part of the research? Talk to me about character uh, backstory and construction. Mm. I mean, I think we're incredibly lucky to have the creating and writing team that we do because I think that they give us a lot of information to inform um, whether it's in the sort of like obvious way, like this season we did an actual episode called Backstory, which was the backstory of C.W. um, F. Murray Abraham's character. Um, But also in sort of more behind the scenes-y ways where you're – the door is so open to have discussions with the writers and the creators about why you think your character is doing this, where they see the character going. Um, And so I've had a lot of conversations like that. I think that there's an element of needing to keep that a little bit fluid because Mm -hmm. you don't know where things are necessarily going to go in future seasons. And so you don't want to lock something in in your mind that then you have to totally scramble to change but the things that I think that I've always had informing Poppy's story are that she I mean they allowed me to be Australian so there's something in that that I think already firstly I relate to but I that I also think is really fundamental this idea of she would have moved Mm -hmm. countries probably to go to college we say that she went to MIT And that shows a sort of level of ambition and also, you know, being able to prioritize Mm. her work Mm. and what she does for work above everything else, essentially. And then we also say that Ian plucked her from MIT, so she didn't even probably Mm. finish her course, which I think for me that's like, well, so she's so smart that, she didn't even need to, to be, you know, the best coder in the world, which is the way that she sees herself at least. Mm, mm. Um, And that also that she's had a very myopic experience of adulthood. Mm. You know, she, Mm. she left, she left school to go and work with this dude (laughs) for this company. And that's the only adult life that Uh, she knows, mm -hmm. Um, which 
I, for me, that excuses some of her more toxic behavior. <laughs> yeah, some stunted social behavior, perhaps. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's like she's valued for her programming skills. And as long as she keeps those up, which she does, mm. everything else can be a mess. And she is. She's an absolute mess <laughs> of a human. <laughs> and so how much of it, like you said about Australia, like how much of it is bringing yourself to to that in in any character again i'm thinking of the quarantine episode where your break poppy's breakdown was your breakdown yeah <laughs> i mean i think that yeah there's some there's some really specific examples like that like when i did that scene i this is so this is such an embarrassing actory thing but i had oh, like yeah. photos of my family behind my computer did you really when i was yeah, when I was shooting that scene. <sighs> and so there was like, you know, you it, it's it was kind of fun shooting that. The way that we shot it with iPhones, you and with no crew in your house, all the crew was on Zoom on my computer, you could do a lot of those little actory cheats, right? Like I could get, yeah. I could take out stuff that helped me feel in the scene and it could be just sitting there while I shot it, which was yeah. um, cool and helpful. Um, and a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I think, you know, if, if it works. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some, like, specific things like that. But then I also, I don't know, one of the things that I kind of like about the character is how, even though, as I say, she's a mess, she's so certain of her, um, of her competence in the mm -hmm. field that she is in. And I, I don't have that. I don't feel like every time I walk on set, I'm like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And so it is fun to get to embody this, this character that just has no insecurities around her ability to get oh. the job done. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of insecurities about her ability to lead or to be around people. But right. in terms of the thing that she's hired to do, she has no insecurities. And I, that's, yeah. I love getting to um, getting to pretend that that's me when sure. I play the character. Yeah, catharsis maybe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also want to ask about conveying stress and anxiety, <laughs> <laughs> which I think you're so good at. Like, it. What is your out? Do you think of it as an? <laughs> yeah. Do you think of it as outside in? How much do you think about physicality in a performance? I think about physicality a lot. Um, I one, I'm a pretty naturally um, physical person, and I feel like when I say that, it sounds like when I picture a physical person, it's someone that's very comfortable in their body. It's mm. someone that can maybe dance that has, you know, a sense. That's not what I mean at all. <laughs> I, I like, I find it hard to go about my day without just flailing, physically flailing a lot. That's what my body wants to do. And mm -hmm. often when I'm working, I have to pull that back because that's not how most people move whereas with poppy i've kind of allowed it to be part of the character yeah. which is really fun like using her hands a lot like swaying around <laughs> like she clenches in and then explodes out in a lot of these moments and Ooh. it's it's really like I, I really enjoy being able to um i think that the reason that the anxiety is so palpable is because 
when you're able to use your body that much, it's impossible not, I'm doing it right now, like yeah. it's impossible not for it to not exude that emotion. Mm. And, um, and then I really enjoy playing with um, when she's anxious or when she's trying to prove herself, she's extremely physical. And when she's certain of herself or when she's feeling something very real, she's very still. Ooh, um, okay. And, cool. and so, and so I think, yeah, I really, I, I appreciated that the creative team was into the physicality that I was bringing, because I think so much of what you're feeling in terms of her anxiety and her stress comes from that. Yeah. Well, and you've also said that, um, you, the, 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 uh, relationship with the writers is so interesting, especially because some of them are your co-stars but right. it sounds like they are almost spying on you guys and writing yes. <laughs> writing stuff for the characters that are related to you. Like are I what is the relationship like? Like how how does the how does that collaboration work? Um it it work it works perfectly. It's <laughs> I think it's not just that they're spying on us, although that is, there is definitely an element of that. <laughs> like you'll read things in scripts and be like, "Hey." Um, but I I think that also we we truly are all friends, and um, you know Rob and I have most of our scenes are together, and so we are constantly having conversations between takes, um, mm. between setups that I think then help to help inform him of, I mean, I think a really basic example is like, what is funny on me? Cause I think, <laughs> I mean, as a comedic actor, it's like, you kind of know what your stick is. Sure. And, and I like making people laugh and we all do. And we're all trying to make each other laugh in between scenes. And so mm. I think sometimes there's something that I'll do that he'll be like, that's really funny and it's going in the show. Uh, a lot of the Australian um, jargon, I think, like yes. in this recent season, I call someone a drongo. And I remember, <laughs> call, I think I called myself a drongo at some mm. point and Rob was like, a what? what? What is this word that you've just said? <laughs> so there's an element of that. And then I think um, the four uh, women in the yeah. cast, Jesse Annis, Imani Hakim and Ashley Birch and I are extremely close. I that's They great. just managed to like, cast our friend group basically ah. and Ashley it has been on the writing staff since mm -hmm. the beginning of season one and so I think that there's also an element of like her having this very intimate access to uh, and not just necessarily like parts of um, like uh, you know more external jokey things but even you know we all talk with each other about I know for her, um, there's a we address in this season that she's half Thai, which mm -hmm. it, which she is, um, mm -hmm. and we had a bunch of conversations about what that means. And I'm I'm half Filipina, mm -hmm. and I think we've talked about you know she's more white passing than me, but we both have a sort of shared experience about what it feels like to be mixed race. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in this sort of liminal space between like, how much are you this one thing? How much are you this other thing? And we haven't necessarily explored that with Poppy yet, but mm. I think that the that that scene where Rachel, Ashley's character, that comes from conversations that we were having. I think some of the conversations that happen this season around Imani's character, Dana, um, sort of trying to 
be more ambitious mm-hmm. than you would initially picture based on her, um, based on like what you're used to seeing and like a lower level black woman in an office, sure. I think comes from conversations that we were having. Hmm. Even the conversations that we're having around race, I think there's like a couple of scenes where we all talk about the idea of getting canceled or like what, you know, uh. what being a woman of color allows you to do, which is hmm. so terrible and so funny. <laughs> comes from funny conversations that we've had together so it's yeah it's cool to to be allowed to explore that in the show in the way that we're kind of exploring it yeah personally as well and then that ends up in the script and there's no is there improv yes okay there is improv yeah i think we there's improv in that um we even sometimes when we're just rehearsing the scene we'll start Uh, improvising and then they'll rewrite the scene and be like, oh, that's funny that you did that. Or, you know, what would be funny if you say this. And we've always got writers on set and like Megan Gans, who's one of the Mm co-creators and extraordinarily funny, will run in between takes with alts for us. And then on top of that, sometimes, I mean, I think sometimes it's even just that we'll say, oh, let's make the scene go in this direction. And then we'll start shooting and halfway through the scene, you'll be like, wait, what were we doing? this time around and so then you just kind of make stuff up to try to remember where and then sometimes that's what they use um and so yeah i think there's a scene where we're um we're on the side of the road talking about poppy my character calls um imani imani's character her chauffeur and then we're Mm. all sort of discussing whether or not that's politically correct if it's racist or not and that whole scene we were just riffing because we (laughs) i think we couldn't really remember how to get out of that moment that wasn't in the script to begin with oh my gosh um so yeah and it's good it helps when like you're all friends so you're bouncing off of each other and you feel like you can go there with each other yeah, it really makes me feel like comedy is alchemy and you have to have the right ingredients yeah. and the right um, collaborators and there's no there's no one correct way of doing it, but it certainly requires trust, right? It certainly requires... Trust and, and freedom, yeah. I think. Mm. Like that's... And I think that one kind of begets the other. I mm. think that the, you know, when Rob and Megan trust us, mm-hmm. we feel like we have the freedom to go different places with the performance on the day. And when we trust them, then they have the freedom to write different things for us and take the characters officially in different directions because they uh, believe that we can handle it or that we'll be into it or, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. And you've said too that comedy is vulnerability, which Mm. I feel like ties into what you're saying about like um, the quarantine breakdown or even like uh, awkwardly dancing or moving your limbs around that is a form of vulnerability right (laughs) yes absolutely I mean in a lot of ways I think that's kind of what I mean in terms of like comedy being vulnerability like there's a there's a really clear sign in comedy whether you're doing it good or not if people laugh good job if people are stony-faced you didn't do it yeah and (laughs) I think that is an incredibly scary space to inhabit and it's a totally. lot it's it's a lot 
it's a lot less ambiguous than drama is sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think that there are many different appropriate ways to respond to drama, whereas with comedy, you really want to be making people laugh. Mm -hmm. And often the stuff that makes people laugh is seeing other people be, um, not have it together. And in a lot of ways, you can't fake that. You kind of just have Mm. to go for it and know that if, you if it works people are going to laugh and you've done your job and if it doesn't work then you've just exposed a part of yourself that you're embarrassed of (laughs) that now everyone can see that's so and you have to be willing to do that and fail yes yes Yes. yeah that's magic that's pure gold yeah because (laughs) you just you can't also then get scared when it doesn't work and retreat back into yes rob has this great um piece of advice that he gives for a lot of different scenarios that I love and I'm still trying to figure out how to fully go for it with this advice but he says fail faster like Mm. you're going to fail so Mm. get there faster because once you fail then you'll be able to figure out the next thing where you might succeed so if you've got an idea that you're not sure of just put it out there right Mm. away if it's no good you'll know and then you can move on to the next instead of holding on to it for years thinking is now the time should I what if people don't like it yeah you know that's brilliant yeah gosh Charlotte thank you so much I just think this I think you and Rob are just so amazing together it's it's (laughs) it's intoxicating to watch and it's almost like I want to ask like what is chemistry and how does it work but it (laughs) is like what you're saying like it requires trust it requires vulnerability and it requires like I don't know listening being in the moment Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and mutual respect, I think, mm-hmm. which obviously I'm going to come into working with Rob McElhenney and have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. Um, he's like a, a, the top of his craft. But I think being able to feel that your scene partner has respect for you too, I think yeah. is so helpful with that. And, and that's, I mean, it's the word that you used is so good, like that alchemy. Yeah. I do think that there's also an element of like, look, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There's a lot of things that you can do to make it work. And then I think sometimes it, the alchemy just works. Yeah. And this show, the mythic quest is such a testament to that because of the rewriting of those, of those roles, because of the rewriting of Poppy. Right. um, Joe wasn't a character when they first conceived it. I met Jesse, um, at one of those chemistry raids. Uh, I think she Mm -hmm. was auditioning for Rachel, I think, or maybe she was auditioning for Rachel and Dana. And I remember being reading with her and being like, wow, this actress (laughs) really knows what she's doing Cool. and thinking, oh yeah, well that Ashley's going to get it and Jesse's going to get it. And I don't know where I fit in. Um, and, and then it kind of turned out that that was true. Like, but they, they felt they wrote a whole new role for Jesse. Um, yeah, I just, I love, I love the idea of, um, working of treating actors as part of the creation Mm. process, Mm -hmm. uh, not just tools that come in once you've made the story that have to like fit into a box that you've pre-made, but like just all new shapes that then you, you sort of tessellate into Mm. the, the, you know, map that you've already got. Um, I have to let you go soon. This is so great. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Um, Thank we, you. We have these silly questions that we kind of ask everyone and uh, put you on the spot f- oh, no. with. Um, <laughs> we talked about auditions, but do you have like a go-to worst audition horror story? 
Yeah, I do actually. I, I my for a little. I I can sing. I can sing. I'm oh. not a great oh, yeah. singer, but I can sing. And so for a little <laughs> while, my agent in Australia kept trying to make me go to musical theater auditions. <gasps> okay. And. I kept sort of saying no, and eventually she was like, come on. Like, they want to see all kinds. Um, they were auditioning for uh, the Addams Family musical mm -hmm. down here, and they wanted they wanted you to prepare the song Pulls that Wednesday Addams sings. I don't know if you know it. It's very musical theatery. Uh -huh. I don't know if you can, it goes, I'm getting pulled in a new direction. It's like very musical theatery. Sure. And then, any other song of your choice. And so I prepared a song from the last five years, which is a bit more of, I, I like musical theater, I can't do it. Um, it's a bit more of like a, a I don't know, a, a cabaret musical, I guess you could say. Sure. And I went in and I said, they said, what songs have you prepared? And I said, this song from the last five years. And they said, okay, that's not in our world, just sing pulled. And I was immediately like, oh, okay, sorry. Oh, no. They said, go stand on the X over there. So I went and stood on the X. They had, I had this panel of, these very stern looking people. And then the pianist just started before I could even like, and I got through this song and I, I'm sure you could have seen the look of like absolute defeat <laughs> on my face as I was singing it. I got to the end of the song. I was like out of breath. There was like a pause. And then this older woman sort of like looked up at me from the table and sort of cocked her head to the side and said, good try. Oh, and I was just like, oh, and then they said oh. nothing, oh, and I no. just left the room, and it was, it was terrible and hilarious. And I called my agent straight after, and I was like, "Can you stop sending me for musical theater auditions?" <laughs> oh, no, that's so funny that it's Adam's family. Where like, it's supposed to be kind of straight faced and and grim, and it was so grim. Yes. <laughs> it was so grim. <laughs> I could just like I don't know if you've ever had to sing a full song that you're not really technically able to sing for <laughs> five people that are glaring at you, but it's not fun. No, and then they don't even In say goodbye. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, after you um after you book certain roles, the rejections don't hurt as much, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. The rejections become funnier because I think, well, would I rather have gone down that path or the path that I'm on? And right. it's definitely the one that I'm on. Right. There you go. Oh, that's actually, that's great. Um, and then we always ask too, what is one performance that you think every actor should see and why? Maybe film, uh, TV, maybe something you've seen recently? You know, I don't even know if this counts, but the first thing that came into my head uh, which I'm sure, I mean, I'm certainly not the first person at this party, was Bo Burnham's recent um, oh, Netflix yeah. special. Oh. Which, I I mean, I guess he is an actor. Um, and it's not, it's not really a, I don't know. I watched that and I felt so many things. And yeah. I don't know how you could call it anything other than a really beautiful, nuanced performance. I don't know if you've, have you seen it? Um, the irony is I've seen the last 20 minutes, which as I understand wow. it is a very strange way to have seen it. <laughs> yes, it is very strange. Yes. It really is. I mean, I don't know how you could call it a stand-up special because it, yeah. it does feel like a sort of medium-length film, a yeah. kind of absurd film about a man 
isolated and yeah. slowly and grappling with his mental health yeah. um, with songs. I think and, it's a great example, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think that the thing that is so wonderful about that performance is, and and I think if you can capture it in more traditional ways too, it's it's always my favorite performances. Uh, when you're watching someone and the idea of it being a performance doesn't even enter your mind. You're not mm. watching it and thinking, what incredible acting. Mm. You're watching it and thinking, I am here with this person experiencing what they are experiencing. Mm. Um, and it's so, the line is so blurred in that special. It's yeah. like, was he capturing himself breaking down? Was he recreating a breakdown that he had had another day? Like how much of this is, I mean, he has to hit he has to hit record on that camera. Yeah. So how much of this is set up and how much am I just getting a peek into something that I shouldn't be watching? And Ooh. yeah, I, yeah. It's such a, I think it's such a cool piece of art. Talk about comedy is vulnerability. That's the ultimate yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. I don't think I ever understood the quite what dark laughter meant until I watched that. Ooh. I like yeah. laughed darkly many times yes. in that special. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's also kind of essential. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Cathartic, to use your word. Yeah, yeah. Another um, pandemic artif uh, artifact of an, of an yes. era, I feel like, years yes. from now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, wonderful. And then last question, what advice would you give your younger self? What is, it, what is something that you wish you'd known when you were 17 and <laughs> traveling the world? It's honest, it's the same. I mean, I think I've even kind of already said it. It's the same advice that I would give myself right now, oh, mm -hmm. which is um, we'll see, you know? Like, sure. you can make as many predictions and assumptions about what is going on for you right now and what that means for your future as you mm. like, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, you could be exactly right, you might be so wrong. The best thing ever might happen to you tomorrow and then you'll lose it the day after and then something even better might happen the day after that. Yeah. Um, mm. I still find it hard to um, to remember that sometimes, but oh, it's yeah. it's the advice that I would give myself then and it's the advice that I try to give myself now too. That's, uh, that's excellent. We all need to hear that, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. And this was so, this was such a fun conversation. Good, thank you. I really, um, <laughs> I think we really revealed a lot about how TV comedy works and comedic acting. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, a lot of the point of this, of this podcast is just getting at a creative process, an artistic process. And you really, you provided that. So thank you. Oh, great. Thank you. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi, everyone. It's Christine McKenna-Torella here. Quick heads up, there is a thunderstorm moving through my area, so I'm trying to get a clean recording, but you're probably going to hear a rumble at some stage, and that's what it is. <laughs>
So I'm inspired by our Aussie guest this week and I wanted to remind you of some of the really cool things that we're doing in the Australian space. So we mentioned this briefly a few weeks ago uh, when the VP of casting for Backstage, Luke Crow, was on, but we have acquired Star Now, which is one of the premier casting sites in New Zealand and Australia. But for now, the team and the site is going to stay separate because we want to really learn the market more and, and honor the fact that we have dedicated staff for Star Now in that time zone, etc. But not to worry, we have lots of amazing castings on backstage for our Australian market. And that's not by accident, right? We have a number, we have two actually Australian members of the casting team. There is Victoria Beale, who is a casting specialist based in Perth. She was a talent agent and casting producer before joining the team, and she works on business development for us throughout Australia. Secondly, we have the fabulous Gab Hammond, who is based in Brooklyn, but is originally from Australia, and she works on brand and commercial business development for Backstage, both in the US and the Australian markets. And what does business development mean? And and what do I mean when I say that? Why is it of interest to you as the actor? Well, that means that these ladies are dedicated to networking with casting directors and directors and producers, art directors, etc. Basically creators that would bring casting calls to the site and they bring those premier casting calls that are based on the Australian market onto Backstage. Also, we have a lot of editorial and of course, it's all free and easy to access and a lot of the advice about acting is universal, but we also have editorial tailored especially for the Aussie market. So to highlight a few, these were my favorite because I I learned a lot (laughs) from each of these when I was doing some research on this subject. So look up six acting agencies in Australia you should know. We also have one about how to become a voice actor in Australia. And we have 10 Australian casting directors you should know. They're such amazing articles, short and sweet, super fact-filled. I love them. Take a look. We also have just one of our big Bibles, like our how to be an actor in Australia. It's very comprehensive. So take a look at those. Onto the casting calls for this week. And of course, I'm continuing with the Aussie theme. So there is a casting call for a girl band in Sydney, Australia, seeking singers to form a plus size pop group to defy industries and break barriers. I love it. I want to see this pop group. So all the members will enter into an exclusive one-year management and artistic development deal. They will be located in Sydney. You have to have the ability to rehearse and record there, be an incredible singer, an amazing dancer, plus size and comfortable in your skin. Love it. Secondly, we have another Sydney, Australia casting call. It is a music video for an emerging indie artist. It's a two-minute contemporary dance piece. They're looking for dancers, lyrical contemporary dancers. It's for a woman cycling through relationships in this beautiful music video. That sounds absolutely gorgeous. Finally, in Melbourne, Australia, we have a casting for a proof of concept for a web series. The synopsis is a sci-fi comedy. Production states, it's Gilmore Girls meets Back to the Future. And I think that sounds fabulous. All right, details are on the site. As always, we have hundreds of casting calls for every type of actor in every region on the site. So head over to backstage.com to check those out. 
I hope there wasn't too many rumbles. I don't know if you can hear them. My thunderstorm is moving towards me. But um, that's all from me for now. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.